if you're an owner, if you're owning a building, especially, and you show a building with phenomenal maintenance records and reserve studies completely funded and, and everything's been perfect and there's been no insurance claims, and then the guy next door has just got this dilapidated wreck, but he's on the corner, for example, their valuation is going to be the same as yours. There's real no benefit for conscientious ownership except to extract the most amount of value for the least amount of effort. But if you can increase the efficiency of the real estate market by having a blockchain which represents everything that you've done to that building, from the BIM model to the maintenance records to transfers of ownership to the leaseholders, all that is available on a blockchain, even though your building might be down the street, it will retain more value than the building that might be on the corner that's been dilapidated. Having good records on a blockchain, these are case written for the built environment. Hello, and welcome to the Constructor Podcast, the best way to build it. Episode number 66. I'm your host, Brittany Campbell-Turner, and this podcast is dedicated to helping property owners have certainty in their decisions about their construction projects. We talk about fostering trusting relationships, help you to understand how to lower risk, be under budget, on schedule, and most importantly, exceed your end user's desires. Two weeks ago, we started our second blockchain series. And as you should already know, if you're listening to this series, I'm interested in blockchain technology and how it changes the behavior of people and how they interrelate with each other. Before I get into what this next episode is all about, I wanted to share that I'm co-hosting an event with the Chicago Blockchain Center tomorrow, March 14th, 2018 at 5 p.m. at a WeWork in Chicago. There are a few WeWork locations, so make sure you go to the website, constructor.com, and confirm the details. Go ahead and RSVP by going to constructor.com. It's on the homepage. If you're interested in learning how to impact the built environment with blockchain, this event is for you. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys tomorrow. Last week, we spoke with CEO of Sweetbridge, Scott Nelson, and we spoke about creating liquidity from assets by using blockchain economics, where you can be your own lender. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, check it out at constructor.com slash EP65. In today's episode, I speak with Dan Robles. Dan is one of the founders of the Integrated Engineering Blockchain Consortium. He talks about the engineering profession from a trading segmented hierarchical structure to a network structure like common database called the engineering body of knowledge. He talks about capturing the body of knowledge that exists between our ears instead of reducing it to listing it out on a resume. He shares with us how blockchain can enable a decentralized knowledge inventory for engineers. He explains why blockchain is case-written for the built environment and how this promotes conscientious ownership and the long-term benefits for corporate real estate. With that, let's get into the interview. Dan's presentation caused him to be the 2017 ASCE Innovation Contest winner in the category of Best Value Internet of Things in speaking about the Integrated Engineering Blockchain Consortium, he talks about the engineering profession from a traditional segmented hierarchical structure to a network structure like Common Database that is called the Engineering Body of Knowledge. So now we're going to get into that in a little bit. But first, thank you, Dan. Thanks for joining us here on the Constructor Podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. This is a pleasure. 
Great. I want to give some context to the audience about what the Integrated Engineering Blockchain Consortium is all about. But I think in order to kind of lay the groundwork, tell us first about what Curiosume is and the problem that you observed, why you wanted to solve that with Curiosume. Curiosume is a technique that allows a person to tag themselves with content from a vetted database such as Wikipedia or, or something, the list of tags would be analyzed statistically to generate recommendations or ideas or probabilities most likely of jobs that you would be successful at executing or teams that you would add value or even what markets would maximize uh, your economic viability. But it started many, many years ago and from a series of problems that we were trying to solve for over that time. Long before blockchain and, and decentralization, about 20 years ago, we started with the NAFTA mutual recognition documents. I was there in Mexico, and we were, we were faced with the problem of how do we compare engineers from two different countries who tested equally on academic examinations, yet they rose from entirely different curricula, experience, and peer review structures. This was needed for finance and insurance in order to underwrite risk. So all else was equal, but the actuarial math failed between them. So, so Curiosume was refined or intended to solve that problem. Unfortunately, it was never implemented. Later, we ran it through the Boeing Knowledge Management Initiative. I was an employee there for, for many years. We used their internship program and their knowledge management initiative and their career planning initiatives and so forth. The problem we were trying to solve there was that there was a large percentage of engineers over 50 and a lot of engineers under 30, but this enormous gap between 30 and 50 that had been hollowed out over the years. Older engineers were, were tending to hoard knowledge for fear of being outsourced or replaced, and the younger engineers were not being seen as satisfaction and advancements that they wanted from their career. So Curiosme was again refined to solve that problem, to bring these two groups together in a mutual exchange of information. That was partially implemented, but not on a large scale. Then when I left Boeing, I figured that, you know, obviously transition from aerospace to construction should be easy. After all, airplanes have similar systems as buildings do. Plumbing, electrical, environmental controls, they all had doors, windows, and structural components. This is not the case, though, because each industry had different terms for the same things. So a computer's word search on a resume between the two industries would, would come up with blanks. You're kind of segmented out by this ontology that's out there. Or the professions were segmented differently, like civil and structural and mechanical, chemical and environmental. They're all isolated in different regulatory silos. And the trades themselves are segmented in an entirely different manner as well. So like the demo team, the plumbers and the wallboard crew, the painters and the finishers are all different groups of people with different identities, certifications, liabilities, insurance, and pay scales. It's rare that one person could do it all, but the cost of friction for keeping this entire thing up and then organizing everybody on a critical path was just mind-boggling. So you, you could kind of see the cost. So we refined Curiosume to solve that problem as well. And again, in construction, we see staffing problems where companies need to ramp up really quick. Then when a new contract is awarded, then they need to ramp down quickly when the project is complete. The process is very expensive, not just in vetting everybody, but also puts a strain on long-term employees while introducing these economic shocks to the communities. 
So curiosity was refined again to solve that problem as well. But like many great ideas, curiosity, the changes that were required were so different than what, the, what we're actually doing today that widespread adoption seemed unlikely. It was a niche idea for a while, but then came blockchain. And now blockchain just changes everything. And now we see opportunity for now what didn't work in the old world can work in the new world. What the ASCE award was actually a simplified version of Curiosume that was specified on a blockchain. That's kind of the lineage from beginning to end. And what's exciting now is, is that we can actually do these things that weren't able to be done before. Yeah. When I spoke to you briefly before the interview, we talked about my experience going to engineering school and going to conferences. And since I studied architectural engineering, it's a completely different specialization than what was common when I was graduating, right? Maybe there were three schools that were offering that major. I had to literally explain every time I walked up to someone who was recruiting and say, what does this encompass? I would have to say, it's kind of like civil. It's kind of like mechanical, but not. (laughs) Um, And I think uh, it's really interesting that the necessity to define what people's skill sets are sort of at a grassroots level. It's really interesting that you've been sort of on this journey of solving that issue. Well, it's necessary, but it's very hard to do because what you're doing is you're taking knowledge which can only exist between your ears. It can't exist anywhere else. And you're reducing that to a two-dimensional piece of paper. And then you're taking that two-dimensional piece of paper, giving it to another person and expecting that to be uploaded as that knowledge again. And it's just impossible. It doesn't happen. If you keep it in the form that it exists in the brain and transfer it that way, that's what we're hoping. And that's what we expect. If you could, give us some of the implications and opportunities for blockchain technology in the engineering profession. Like, what do you have in mind? Obviously, setting the, the table with Curiosume is helpful, but lay it out for us. Right now, blockchain is trying to be used in things like financial technologies and insurance And there's a reason for that. It's because those financial instruments are in a certain form. They're in a certain form which can be analyzed statistically, can be transferred on a blockchain. And that's the form that we have to convert our knowledge assets into. So what Curiosity basically does is it converts an intangible asset, what's between your ears, into the form of a tangible asset. Mm -hmm. Okay, so now uh, once it's in that form, we notice that The blockchain has these eight superpowers, and all of them are almost case-written for the built environment. They've got some applicability to finance. They make finance insurance easier and less expensive and easier to call the back office and so forth. But if you recognize those eight things about blockchain, you'll see that they are unbelievably facilitative to what we do as engineers. If you don't need these eight things, there's likely a possibility that you don't need blockchain or that there's other technologies out there that'll do the job simpler and cheaper. But you must need to have a secure database where many people can share. So if you have a situation where many people are sharing a database, and this could be like a BIM model, or it could be a work schedule with critical path. A lot of people are sharing that database, something that blockchains do very well. And then when you need to have many people writing to that database at the same time, again, 
a BIM model or a design or a supply chain. These are databases where people are writing to at the same time. And the third superpower is all these people don't necessarily know each other. So you have this absence of trust. You don't know who the other guy is. But with the blockchain, you can manage that through cryptography so that the rules are set into play, which means that you don't need to trust like working for a corporation, you don't need to know who's on the other side of the email because you know they work for the corporation, so obviously it's a secure connection. But if you're out in the public in the real world, you, know, you have no idea who that is. But the blockchain allows for that to occur through a set of rules and controls that are managed by cryptography. There's a need for disintermediation. With a blockchain, there's no central authority managing or moderating or verifying the authenticity of these sources of information. Everybody is confident that the rules are managing this thing. So there's no boss, there's no overseer. And this is what a blockchain is able to do. So you lose all that friction of having to pass everything through a manager, having to pass everything through a hierarchy. Now, blockchains really shine when one action depends on another action. And this is ideal for recording a critical path for a construction site. Because you know when one block closes, that data is secure forever, that only then can the next block open. That's how a critical path can be used. So I mentioned there's a, there's a strict set of rules and access to the part to the database are controlled by cryptography, and that allows for the separation of responsibility. So a plumber does their work, a wallboard person does their work, an engineer does their work, and you have a record and separation of the responsibility. It also provides for third-party adjudication. So smart contracts can be scripted and they require real-world observation. A PE could stamp an observation and it can then validate the smart contract. Inspector signature or even instrumentation such as a thermometer or a vibrometer could actually execute a smart contract. That's where Internet of Things is a big spin here. One thing that people are so scared of is this idea of tokenization, often called cryptocurrencies. But tokenization is very important because it, this is, allows you to claim your asset, to claim ownership, to create incentives to eliminate moral hazard and to do a lot of things, but we're scared of them for some reason in the construction industry. Those are the eight superpowers. So it turns out that many of the fundamental problems that we tried to solve with Curiosume can be solved with these eight superpowers. The only thing holding us back is that we are organized in the wrong way. And in order for us to take advantage of these eight superpowers or this incredible opportunity blockchain, we need to reorganize our data into the right, correct format. And that's what Curiosume does. That's what QuantChain does. I think you did a great job of laying out how it could certainly impact. And I think what I found most interesting is the engineer will ultimately lay out their design, their capability, and another designer, engineer, can verify it. I thought that was the most valuable piece. If you look at any failure that ever happened in engineering, things never fail because of some not understood nuance of nature. It, it always happens because somebody forgot to divide by pi or multiply by two. <laughs> and this is a mark of a good engineer is that they would uh, let somebody else check their work. It's entrained in us. It's a very valuable function. It's not to be lost. And it provides a great amount of security. Yeah. So explain to us a little bit about quant chain. Like what, what is a quant? Okay, a quant is a cryptographic token. It stands for quantitative analysis. Quantitative analysis people are called quants. 
But when you're able to take you know knowledge and quantify it, it converts your qualitative to a quantitative function. There's a little bit of geekiness in that term, but it's stuck. I like it. It's good. <laughs> it's a cryptographic token, which is, is generated by a specific type of blockchain. So the way it works is an individual an engineer will make a claim and then and they will receive quant, this little token. It's meaningless, it's electronic, and, but it marks the event. Now, another engineer would come along or another individual will come along and validate and they get quant too. So now if that quant had value, they would be incentivized to make a lot of claims and to validate a lot of claims. The drawback is that those two people are now immutably locked together. So that takes away the incentive to be indiscriminate about just going on to this thing and, and collecting quant like Halloween candy. You know, if you're attached to the person, you know, and they turn out to be a bad egg, you know, maybe that's going to be bad for you too. So it starts incentivizing a more localized approach where you kind of know the person or they asked you to validate. It's sort of like job recommendation, okay? But it's a real deal. Somebody's really put their skull into it. This is how individuals go and collect quant. This process, they create this transaction record. And this transaction record shows all the claims they've made. And if they have a claim that hasn't been verified, well, you know, that's called fake news, I suppose. (laughs) It's a lie. If you make a claim that nobody verifies, that's bad. You look at somebody's transaction record and you'd be able to analyze it statistically, not individually, but statistically, to determine what they've done. Very early, it becomes like a unique identifier. So no two people, like your transaction record would be entirely different than mine within two or three levels because you're an architect, you're an artist, I'm an engineer, I'm a mechanical. So it creates sort of like this quasi-anonymous identification. That transaction record carries your history of what you've done, what puzzles you've solved, and it's a quasi-anonymous transaction record. So the collection of all transaction records tells you what all the engineers in the community have accomplished and identify for each one. If you want to go find somebody who knows how to do a certain type of installation, you would need to buy quant to access this database. And you would actually have to buy the quant from the people who created the quant through their claims. It's got that circulatory effect. You're incented to create quant because the market is going to buy it from you to access this data that you created. In effect, you are a participant in value of this database, so you have a vested interest in making it a very good database. There's a lot of game theory involved. It's, it's just so simple, but it comes out of, oh my God, 25 years of research to come up with just this, such a simple way of achieving so many different things because that database can be analyzed in so many different ways. It can be parsed in the networks that that are created between the individuals interacting in the community are invaluable. It's like how a network like Facebook is valuable, but the value of each node is very small. Like, you know, your grandmother and your cousin, I mean, there's very little value in those nodes and there's very little likelihood that your grandma is going to really connect with every other person on the network. So you've got a lot of people on the network, but very little value to the node. In this case, you have a very high value at each node and a lesser amount of connection. So the value of the network, it's going to have intrinsic value. If your value of the network has intrinsic value because it can make things and and do things, then the token representing that network will have intrinsic value. Now, that is unique. It's new to the world for cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin has no intrinsic value. Ether has no intrinsic value. They represent all the things you can do with them that you can't do without them, but they're not necessarily 
intrinsic. Every other token is a derivative of these primary tokens. Well, and so what comes to mind is when I was reading the the blockchain revolution, it talked in the book about using the blockchain to track whether a politician has been achieving what they've promised their community. When I think of how the quant can be used, that's what I immediately think of. Am I on the right track when I make that sort of analogy there? Oh, absolutely. Or you could track if a journalist has a record of being a journalist. So if there's a journalist who's been writing for 25 years, chances are their article is more valid than some bot that was created 14 minutes ago and computer generated. This is nothing new. This is called big data. This is what big data does to us all day long, except it's now us doing the big data back at them. So absolutely. And there's nothing that says that quant should be isolated to engineers. The reason why we're using engineers is because they have such a deep and profound impact on everything that society utterly depends on, like electricity and structures and roads, bridges, highways, transportation. And there's a regulatory structure in place. The engineer has a model law. There is a law, which this all falls under fine. So we're not in this weird extra legal place. So that's why you start with engineers. But eventually, I would say, goes to include makers of all useful things. So if you're a maker of non-useful things and nobody wants to vet your smelly pollution pile, not going to do well because society isn't going to value it. You know, you just kind of atrophy. So that's kind of what eventually we would hope it would include is makers of all useful things, um, including a politician or artists, especially. That's a, that's a bigger vision. But you got to start somewhere. This is great. And I like that you mentioned about the regulatory constraints, the fact that engineers have to designed by a code. I mean, there are many codes out there, especially in the building industry. You have your building code, you have your ASHRAE, you have your um, IEBC and all of these different things. For me, I mentioned before about making the claim and verifying the claim. Another thing that stuck out to me, for instance, is the permit process. It's a really simple thing. You have to design when you're designing a building and it has to be reviewed by the municipality. I want your take on that. How how would the quant value exchange would go? A real life example here. That's superpower number three, the adjudication process. Let me give you a, an idea of how cryptocurrencies work today. Let me use Ether, uh, Ethereum, for example. This is where all the ICOs are happening today. And you see these huge, read these huge articles about these ICOs making hundreds of millions of dollars and issuing these tokens and the typical Ethereum blockchain application, the way it works would be like the example that they use is Farmer Joe, he doesn't stand a chance against big global warming. So fortunately, there's this coin called CropCoin. And with CropCoin, if the temperature goes above 100 degrees for three days in a row, then Farmer Joe gets a big payout of cash. And that's how this coin works. And you should buy a lot of them because they're going to go up in value because global warming is going to get worse. Whatever. That's the story they tell you. But what's happening, though, is, is that contract is contingent on the thermometer, right? Because if the thermometer is not calibrated correctly, somebody could dispute the claim that Farmer Joe has to this pile of cash. That thermometer needs to be vetted. It has to be secured. And that's ultimately going to be done by an engineer or by the engineer who put the satellite in the sky, which predicts the weather, or by the organization, the regulatory body, which certifies that thermometer. Okay, so you're all still contingent on that stuff. So that's kind of how I look at the permitting process is that the contract cannot execute until there's a permit or an individual 
who would adjudicate. I mean, so they would be the oracle. They would stamp it. Once they stamp, the blockchain stops, the contract stops until this third-party adjudicator stamps it, and then it can continue. Okay, so it's sort of like a, a referee on a soccer field. Okay, it stops the game to make sure the rules have been all been obeyed, and then it starts the game again. This is something that blockchains are very, very good at, and smart contracts are very, very good at. So the permit office would largely remain the same. Those regulatory milestones, and I generalize them further and say every point where risk is transferred from one person to another. If you get a certificate of occupancy, that transfers the risk from the builder to the owner. And at that moment in time, they're very easy to identify whenever risk is transferred. That's where you would put an adjudication mode or adjudication point. And, and of course, permit offices would be part of that. Managing the permit office could be done better as well with the blockchain. For example, instead of the permit office holding all the drawings in a centralized database that they house, you could have those documents secured on a blockchain so that you just have to get the key to go back to find the original permitted drawing. And that's indelible on a blockchain, so it can't be changed, it can't be altered, it can't be corrupted. The permit office doesn't have that back end of having to retain all these records, and it has a very precise job on the front end. It's a limit to a lot of friction. It's, it's pretty much the takeaway here. And that makes it more efficient. You know, that's what engineers like, efficient processes. I want to bring it home a little bit to the corporate real estate and the AEC industry here. And since the target audience here... We're speaking to the owner-operator community. One of the first questions I have here is, the value is now being stored on the quant chain. Now we understand the intrinsic value that's being held for this quant that's associated with the network that creates things. When it comes to seeking out an engineer who has a specific capability, how would you proceed in that process? And then how would you or incorporate that into a request for proposal or something for engineer? The way it's processed, and if you look at Curiosume, there's sort of a math engine to it. It's not, it's not like you know Match.com. <laughs> there's a statistical process analysis behind it. And of course, you know that, that no problem can ever be truly solved. It can always be solved like at a percentage, a probability of 80 or 90 or 30 or 20. What happens is, if you're looking for an engineer who has a 100% probability being able to execute a certain business plan, you might be overpaying because you're going to get a PhD from MIT to plumb your sprinkler system, as if they could ha- do it successfully anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to get the right number for the right person for the right job. So you might specify, give me somebody with a 75% probability of being able to execute this business plan, and the rest they'll learn by reading the manual or whatever. And that's going to be relative to cost. Then you want to look at a team which has 80% probability of of executing this particular innovation that I want to do. And then the rest is either balanced by research, it's balanced by continued education or something. You're just specifying the probabilities. But what's interesting about this data is that you're eliminating a lot of irrelevant data. If somebody says, I want, send me an engineer who can execute this business plan, 75% probability. It's all vetted. They don't have to go through your HR department because it's all vetted on the blockchain. Very efficient. And in through the door, a person in a wheelchair. Yes, they can execute the business plan, but you can no longer bias against somebody in a wheelchair because that data is not relevant. Or it could be a female, or it could be a LGBT, or, or a different race, or different color, nationality. So all these are data points that we've eliminated from the data set. 
you have to pretty much accept what you get. And by eliminating all this irrelevant data, you actually provide a much better data set. You see what I mean? Yes, absolutely. If they're an older person or too young, or I mean, there's so many different ways to not get a job that have nothing to do with your capability. And your capability is often an undercurrent to your appearance or any one of these other factors that are often subliminal. People don't really even know they're being biased and you can't fault them. You know, it's not about faulting anybody. It's just that's the way we're organized today. And that's how you can start breaking down some of those barriers. Mm-hmm. No, I love I love those perspectives that you're that you're raising. That's something that we talk about from time to time on the podcast. We talk about the generational I don't want to call it discrimination, but there is an unconscious bias. And then in addition to that, obviously, I'm a woman who's also minority. And it's a it's always a question of people. People work with who they know, like and trust. And if you have a different platform in which you create for people to assess value on something different, then the opportunity for more transactions based upon reality of an actual like capability. And and I think that's one of the reasons also why I really, <laughs> really love blockchain, because it enables us to do that. It enables us to see reality. Well, with diversity, you get a lot more innovation. Okay. I mean, if you take five mechanical engineers, you stick them in a room and say, build a better mousetrap, you're going to get a better shingle, a better spring and a better whacker. But if you take, you know, a mother of five rowdy kids, an attorney, an ethicist, and a dog trainer, and you put them in a room, you're going to get a completely different type of mousetrap, probably going to work just fine. That's the incentive to diversifying in this manner is that you're going to get a better solution ultimately, especially if you already know it's 90% probability of being successful. Yeah, and I think that there are a lot of companies who recognize and they have diversity statements specifically for that reason that you just mentioned. I mean, diversity absolutely improves innovation. With that being said, I I did want to dig into some more of the opportunities for owners to look for quants in order for them to take advantage of the quant chain. And I, I wanted to just lay out some of the benefits for what this can provide to an owner. The example I use would be like Carfax. In the old days, when I was a kid, buy a car, it, as soon as you drove off the lot, it would lose 30, 40, 50% of its value because there's no longer a record of that car. Okay, It could go anywhere, and you try to resell it, and it has very, very little value. But now with Carfax, what they did was they took just a few little pieces of public data, such as you know when it was sold, the when it was registered, the amount of miles at that time, and where it was registered. I mean, just little bits of data. And now a car retains almost 80% of its value for the first three or four years. I mean, this is incredible. So what happens is that little tiny bit of data has increased the efficiency of the market, okay, for cars. So now you've got CarMax out there and that spread, everybody knows what it is. Everybody can see it. Everybody's comparing apples to apples, oranges to oranges, and you get great efficiencies in a market. If you're an owner, if you're owning a building especially, and you show a building with phenomenal maintenance records and reserve studies completely funded and, and everything's been perfect and there's been no insurance claims, and then the guy next door has just got this dilapidated wreck, but he's on the corner, for example, their valuation is going to be the same as yours. So there's no, there's real no benefit for conscientious ownership 
except to extract the most amount of value for the least amount of effort. But if you can increase the efficiency of the real estate market by having a blockchain which represents everything that you've done to that building, from the BIM model to the maintenance records to transfers of ownership to the leaseholders, all that is available on a blockchain, even though your building might be down the street, it will retain more value than the building that might be on the corner that's been dilapidated. So it increases the efficiency of the market, decreases the overhead of maintaining such a database anyway. And it's secure. It can't be corrupted. If you're an ethical business owner, you will benefit. If you're not so, then hopefully you won't. I mean, trying to figure out ways to, to beat the system or cheat the system, it won't do you any good. So that's kind of the laying out the value proposition of having good records on a blockchain, you know, because, you know, I deal with companies all the time where they can't find the original plans to the building. And without the original plans, you got to start punching holes in the walls, looking for things. And then you can break something you didn't know was there. And then you start, you know, you have no idea what you have to do exploratory studies. And it's just more expensive to maintain a building later without records. But if I have the plans, I know exactly where everything is. You're in and out. It's cheaper in the long run. So, you know, there's a lot of reasons why this would be valuable to an owner. Absolutely. No, yeah, absolutely. This discussion and more is what we will be covering at our blockchain and construction event partnered with the Chicago Blockchain Center tomorrow at WeWork in Chicago. Don't forget to go to constructor.com and sign up to join us in this discussion. Now let's get back to the interview. You already touched a little bit on insurance. I wanted to dig into that a little bit more and, and how that helps an owner when either they're planning on actually doing renovations within their building, even insurance when it comes to doing a real estate transaction. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, insurance is a statistical enterprise and it uses actuarial math and quant chain is built on actuarial math. It becomes very efficient. So the way insurance works, of course, is they take certain risk exposures that are all similar. So everybody's sort of paying into one bucket. Ten people have a flood hazard. They're all paying money into a bucket. And whoever's house is lost by flood gets the money from the bucket. So everybody's sort of subsidizing the loser until it's their turn to have a claim. And it's essential that data is pure and that data is accurate. If somebody is insuring the building for $100 million, it's only worth $50 million and they have a failure, there's a moral hazard. It makes the insurance product less efficient. It's it's important to be able to price your asset correctly, price the replacement cost correctly, and then have yourself in the correct pool. I see a lot of buildings that have, say, a galvanized piping system, and the insurance company will just cancel their insurance as they hear the word galvanized. There's a big difference between the galvanized steels that were used in the 1980s. The foreign steel was not of the same quality as the American steel, there's no distinction in the insurance for that plumbing system. That's sort of a corruption. It's sort of an inefficiency. So that's the standard insurance market. You want to make sure your risks are priced correctly. But then there's the opportunity for unique insurance type products like insurance on demand. So if you expect a big storm season, you can get insurance on demand for that season. Or if you have micro insurance, you want to insure just this one peril. You can isolate that one peril and, and find a pool of other people that have that same peril and you can have that sort of micro-insurance. What we're working on, maintainability as an insurable event, is the opportunity to pay insurance for the maintenance of your building. That can't really be done right now, even with a captive insurance product, because there's so many variances 
it's too complex to adjudicate in smart contracts. But if you were to have your maintenance plan all set up over a long period of time, you fund the maintenance plan, and then you have an engineer come out and validate that that needs to be done at this certain time, then it becomes an insurable event, and your maintenance now is a steady cash flow rather than these peaks and valleys of times when everything's breaking and times when nothing's breaking and when do I save? How, you know, These reserve accounts get rated for other emergencies. And, but if you have a, an insurance product for maintaining it, then the costs obviously go down because it's well-maintained and your volatility is decreased, much like that's what insurance does for finance. It can now do for your maintenance. These are the sorts of things that we're working on and that we're discussing and trying to incorporate. Ultimately, at the end of the day, it reduces the amount of risk. It has to be covered by the insurance. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, it increases the incentives to mitigate risk. Like, for example, an insurance company doesn't care if there's a risk. It only cares that that risk is priced correctly. So who's out there actually reducing the risk? There's really little incentive to actually reduce a lot of risks unless there's a lawsuit or something that says you have to have airbags, you have to have seat belts, you have to have fire bars. I mean, those didn't happen. They were litigated into existence. But now if you've got, if you've got this insurance system out there which rewards uh, high integrity, then you start actually mitigating risks. It now becomes cost-effective to mitigate every single risk. So it changes the incentives in the market, we believe. Very interesting. Are there any other areas that you'd like to highlight in regards to how the value of the quant chain could impact the owner? The thing I want to emphasize, it's, it's just so extremely simple to do. <laughs> the value is just so enormous. It's time to build something. So, so this is what the consortium is doing. Is, is What we've done over the last year, got out to the market. We said, what's worth your pain points? What do you need? What are some of the applications that you want? And then we started looking at the different types of blockchains that are out there from the Hyperledger to the Ethereum to EOS and BitShares and Litecoin. I mean, we started looking at all these blockchains. Which one's going to serve us the right way? We determined to a large degree that we need to build our own. Now, these are not difficult things to do. I know it sounds spooky. It's all weird. You start reading about it. Blockchain is just a, a clumsy little dance that a computer has to do to mimic a human condition. When you go learning about blockchain, you learn about this clumsy dance. It makes no sense to you because you're not a computer. But the human condition that it solves does make a lot of sense to you. It's like a handshake. Before the handshake, things were this way. After the handshake, things are this way. That's the consensus. And the social consensus is all that this thing is bringing to the table. I encourage people to learn about it and to take a position, hopefully work with us and help us figure out what's going to be best way to approach this. We're getting a lot closer every day. What we're doing with the quant is we're basically decentralizing those adjudicators I was telling you about. They're like the referees on the field. So if, if you corrupt the referee, you can corrupt the game. What we're doing is we're creating an incorruptible core of referees, and they can now sign these contracts. And those contracts are going to be making your life better. That's pretty much where we're starting. And that's what Quant Chain does. Now, the upside could be enormous because we've seen the value of these currencies go up and be illegal for me to promise that the value of the currency would go up. But when you're storing the value of infrastructure and you're able to articulate it in a new manner, the more valuable the storage, the more valuable the articulation. We hope that people could see that. We think we're at a point where many people are looking at blockchain and are familiar enough to get traction with the discussion we're having right now. 
but I would encourage learning more and being very optimistic about what can be done with these things. So tell us where we can learn more, read your white paper and or support the cause. Our website is iebc.co, C-O, and we've got several videos. We do have a white paper that's up there now. It's an executive white paper, so it's actually pretty short, but it links outbound to larger articles. So if you read all of them, it's actually quite a lot of information. But I would encourage you seeing the early video for Curiosume. I encourage looking at the presentation for the ASCE award that we won. Familiarize yourself with what we do and contact me directly. We're at the point now where we're, we're, we're looking for financial uh, partners. This whole year, we are working for free and giving information away and educating. But now we're at a point where we're starting to make patents and we're starting to formalize this engagement. And we would love to have your support in doing so. If an engineer or designer wants to become specifically part of the IEBC community, uh, should they just be reaching out to you directly? We also have a newsletter that comes out. And yes, reach out to us directly. We'll find a place for you or we'll find somebody in our network that'll connect you with. And that's kind of the genesis, two people connected to each other. So if you call me a construction manager in Wyoming, I know a construction manager in, in San Diego. And now you guys will get together, you girls or guys will get together and we'll find a job or you start building something or you do some research or somebody will find something for you to do. Thank you so much, Dan. This has been so enlightening. Really appreciate you just kind of sharing with us what you're up to and this path that you've been on from Curiosume all the way until now. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Well, thank you very much. It's been, a, it's been fun talking about it. Thanks for listening to this interview with Dan Robles. Find out more about Dan and IEBC at constructor.com slash EP66. I interviewed Dan a few weeks ago. And so as far as an update, I wanted to let you know that there has been an alpha release of the blockchain that's intended to come out in April 2018. So if you're listening to this episode in April, you can go ahead and check it out at coengineers.io. That's coengineers.io. I do have a reminder, I am co-hosting an event with the Chicago Blockchain Center. If you're interested in learning how to impact the built environment with blockchain, this event is for you. That includes individual professionals in architecture, engineering, construction, utilities, logistics, facilities, owners and developers, anyone who is really impacting the AEC industry and any ancillary service. So what are we going to discuss? We'll have a panel discussion about how blockchain can change, how data is managed, how events in the material supply chain are recorded, a plethora of subjects. You can find out more at constructor.com. If you've learned something valuable in this episode, share it with your friends and colleagues. You can also let me know if you're enjoying it by connecting with me on Twitter at Brittany underscore CT or find me on LinkedIn. You can also just email me at Brittany at Constructor.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-E at Construct R.com. Next week, we'll be speaking with Ragnar Lifsayer, who has been in the corporate real estate and architectural engineering construction space for some time now. We discuss in my interview with him about how a blockchain pilot, VLOX.RE, was done in Cook County. The pilot achieved conveyance of a property and the public recording of a deed using blockchain. And in addition to that, we also talk about how he founded the International Blockchain Real Estate Association. I look forward to sharing this interview with you guys next week. Leave a review to show your support and let me know you're enjoying the podcast. I look forward to talking with you guys for the next couple of weeks about blockchain. 